We here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. I'm so excited about what we're about to start today. We call it unfolding, unfolding, revealing Jesus in Moses and the prophets. I don't know what you're expecting, but I know it's going to be, it's going to be not just life changing. It's going to echo into eternity. That's my favorite quote from the movies. So seeing that uh, Jerusha put us up on the movies uh, from uh, that's gladiator. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. And that's so true. Whether it's going to be a silent echo or a very loud echo, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Now, I don't know about you, but who agrees with me that Jesus is a great example? <laughs> Jesus is a great example, a great example of ministry, a great example of how to deal with people, a great example of leadership. That's one of the things we looked at business leaders in the week, where in, um, I think it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, it was prophesied that he will be a great example of leadership, that he will be a, a, a priest and a prince and a commander of men. And then Paul says, well, Follow me, actually the word there is not follow, it's imitate. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So when we imitate Jesus, we do things like he did. It means that we become great leaders, we become commanders, princes of people, but also we, we get to be as effective. Like think about that, what's the greatest miracle? You'll do the same works that I did and greater works. So we can be more effective than Jesus. And that's not blasphemy, that's quoting Jesus by the way. We can be more effective than Jesus. So if we look at Jesus as an example, the resurrected Christ is our greatest example of ministry. I'm going to say that again. The resurrected Christ, not the before the Christ Jesus, the one you see in the chosen, no, the one after the cross, is how we should minister. Because we are one with the resurrected Christ. The way we should be doing it then is how He did it. And, uh, and that's really what our focus should be. There's not many examples of that, of Jesus, but there is a great example in Luke 24. In Luke 24 from verse 25, we're going to look at it, and it says, um, it's Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus after the tomb, Jesus was in the garden. And um, it's funny how no one realized that it was Jesus. Like none of the people who knew him or knew him well. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. I mean, I thought Jesus is only saying good things and nice things and warm and cuddly. Oh, fools! <laughs> so what did Paul do in Galatians? He says, oh, fools. And then Paul says, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So who was his example? Christ was his example. Oh, fools! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27. Now, what is the, the context here is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And there's Cleopas and there's another one. And they are down and out. They are downtrodden. They said, have you heard the bad news? We thought this prophet and, and, and then our leaders, our religious guys, they went and they condemned them. They, they gave him to the Romans and the Romans crucified him. And they, they just had hope in this person. That's the problem. We can never put hope in people. They had hope in this person called Jesus where it says it's actually not about Jesus, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about the Christ, the God in the man. So the Word says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it says in verse 14, I believe, that the Holy Spirit, the Word became flesh, but it actually the Word there is not became so much as came upon or came on or sort of endrenched, became one with. So the Word of God became one with the flesh of man. And that's really who Jesus is. That's why He's the Son of Man and the Son of God. So that is our example then. Now, how would Jesus minister? So there's an opportunity here. People are downtrodden. People are like, they down and out. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to minister. And this is the greatest example, I believe, of ministry. And funny how few people actually follow this example. We go and look at Jesus with the woman at the well. We go and look at Jesus uh, touching the hem or the lady touching the hem of his garment. And we want to make a healing teaching of that. Or we want to do different things where the greatest example is Jesus after the cross. Because Ephesians 2 and verse 6 says that we are now seated in Christ in the heavenlies. Now the heavenlies is not somewhere out there. The heavenlies is in the spiritual realm. So I've realized what we're doing this year, and it's October already. Can you believe it? I know it's still 14 degrees today, but... 
uh, we passed spring. Spring was on the 1st of September. We're more than a month on. And uh, we're almost at the end of the year. And um, what, what we're doing as much as a family is we're redefining our glossary. We're redefining the definition of some of the terms we've grown used to and accustomed to and growing up in, in church. And if you haven't grown up in church, well done. <laughs> it's going to be easier for you because we don't need to redefine so much as just define. And I've realized we call, we were, last week we looked at the law and we think law, we think Moses coming down the mountain with two tablets. Well, the law is anything you do to perform in order to get something from God. It's works-based. So we know we're not under the law of Moses, but we often still default to works. And maybe you're a grace man, you don't think you do. I've realized that I do. Like, it's, it's what can I do? And sometimes it's just reaching out to people, which is good, but with the right, wrong heart, it's not going to be so fruitful. So, again, coming back to what is ministry then? One of our evening sessions, we spoke about it recently. What is ministry? Now, this is ministry. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, now, this is a loaded, loaded verse. I have to quickly give you some context. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. What's he speaking about there? Not Moses the man, no, the writings of Moses. The first five books of the Bible, the Jews call it the Torah. Then all the prophets, that's the rest of what we call the Old Testament. So beginning at Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, that's Moses. And the prophets, he did what? He expounded, says the King James and the New King James, thankfully. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures. So what is the scriptures? When the word speaks about scriptures, and I know if you've been in some of the meetings, this, you might feel we labor this point, but just to get everyone on board, the scriptures is what we call the Old Testament. I know when you go on Google and you say, God so loved the world scripture, they're going to give you John 3.16. Okay? Because Google doesn't know this. Okay? If you say verse, you get the same answer. So the Bible is full of verses, but what we read in the New Testament, when it refers to scriptures, it is actually speaking about the ancient writings, the old writings. Okay, that, You might think it's not relevant, but it's very relevant. Because Jesus doesn't have the book of Ephesians. Jesus doesn't have Colossians 2, verse 9 to 11, that says, now you're full and complete in Christ. Jesus doesn't have Ephesians 2 verse 6 that says you see that in Christ in heavenly places. Jesus doesn't have these Galatians 3, 4, 13 and 14 that says cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree so that the promises of God can be fulfilled. The promise to Abraham which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have those books. He doesn't have those letters. We call that epistles. And then 2, 2 Timothy 2.15 says we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Where's my ministry school student? So on Wednesday night we had an awesome time online. And it wasn't even planned. But we started just about rightly dividing the word of truth. And it ended up to be just a glorious session online about rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we have to divide the word, I love that, what Lamek said. And I have to just give him some credit. So this is the, the pastor from our sister's church in Arare. And uh, if you can see, this is the page. It's not in the middle, but anyways. This is where the New and the Old Testament is split. <laughs> and he, he looked at this on Wednesday a week ago, and he said, what is this? He said, it's a waste of paper. <laughs> it's a waste of paper. Because it is all linked. It is all joined. It is all one. Because now, how can I say that? Well, a lot of people in grace say, but let's do away with the Old Testament. I mean, that's legalistic. That's, that's it's, it's harsh. It's, it's the law. And the law is fulfilled. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill what? The law, but not just the law. The law and the prophets. We can be so anti-law if we're in grace that we just wear this law, we just like take our red pen and we scratch it out. And we really shouldn't because then we're missing out. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophets. It says here, He said, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? That's the fulfillment of the prophets. And beginning at Moses and, the old, and all the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, he expounded unto them, what? All the shoots and the shouldn'ts and the do's and the don'ts. No, the things concerning himself. Who's himself? Christ. 
So what Jesus does is he takes the Old Testament and he ministers the Old Testament by expounding, by showing them what? That this was never about the dust man. My wife doesn't like me using that terminology. Because we talk about an earth man and a spirit man. Or the earthly and the heavenly. The word earth there is literally come from the word dust. Material. Material. Materi. Okay? Now, I don't know if that's Afrikaans or English. I want you can help me later. It's dust. Okay? It is from dust you were born and made and to dust you go. If you ever at a funeral and you see that little box of ashes, that's dust. So whatever is in this life, that is what it ends up in. Sorry to be the bearer of good news this morning. But there's the earthly and there's the heavenly. The earthly is the dust, this is what we see, and then the heavenly is the spiritual, which we don't see. And that's why I got so excited about Hebrews 11 1 in the, in the voice that speaks about not just faith, I'm faithing for a car, I'm faithing for a home, I'm faithing. No, it means when I live in faith, I actually live in the spirit realm. Not the earthly realm. And now what Jesus does is He takes the writings of Moses, which is something like the Passover, which is the killing of a lamb, and the sprinkling of blood, and the eating of a meal, and He says it's never about the killing of a lamb, the sprinkling of blood, and the eating of a meal. It was never about that. That's the, that's the dust version. That's the, you know, the best way to explain it, I believe, is when you watch a good Pixar DreamWorks animation movie. And the adults believe that it's good, but the adults and the kids watch together, they both enjoy it, but they laugh at different things. That's really how you should read the Old Testament. The natural man, let's use that word, not the dust man, the natural man reads it and sees do's and don'ts, eat this, don't eat that, touch this, don't touch that. Where Jesus says, listen, it's not about that, let me show you the true realities how all this speaks about me. Okay, this should like this is like the Boeing is now taxiing and we're about to approach the takeoff. But I promise you we're gonna take off this morning because we took off on Wednesday night and we took off in a great way. You can leave that verse up there, Julius, please, verse seven twenty seven, because I want to just make make this point and then this really is the foundation for the series and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them just now we even have the Afrikaans <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's for the next service but that's good and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded so where did I come up with the word unfolding if I go to expound it and I look at the Strong's Concordance it says it is to explain thoroughly by implication to translate or to interpret so what Jesus does is, in His ministry, His resurrected Christ ministry, He translates or interprets the Old Testament. Then, Thayer's says in his Greek's definition that it is to unfold the meaning of what is said, to explain or to, un uh, to unfold. Say, so this is what you see, but these are the deeper layers. This is what I actually, this is what Moses was actually saying to translate into one's native language. Now, John 16, Jesus says, many more things I have to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why not? He answers that question by saying, because the Spirit has not yet been given. So Jesus speaks parables. Why does He speak parables? He speaks parables because the natural man can understand stories. Then this, the, the disciples go afterwards and they say, Jesus, what did you mean? with the seeds and the harvest. What did you mean with whatever? And then he gives the explanation of the parable of the story. But Jesus so wants to share more. Why? Because he's got the Spirit. So he sees the spiritual realities. And I think how frustrating it must have been being the only one filled with the Holy Spirit after John the Baptist died. Because John the Baptist was filled from his mother's womb. So Jesus really felt lonely in that sense because no one else operated in the spirit realm. Not even the religious leaders. They were super carnal. And if you think about the leaven of the Pharisees, it's not speaking about sin. It's speaking about greed and the love of money. And the Word says that, so we'll get there someday. But what is it that we're about then? 
expounding in the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now, what about Jesus before the cross then? Well, He still had the Spirit. So let's go to John 5, 39. John 5, 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So what are you reading? You're reading Moses and the prophets. You're reading Genesis 2, Malachi. Why? Because you think if you do these things that are written in there, you are going to find life everlasting. But Jesus says it's never about what you can do. It all points to me. Speaking to the natural man, he's saying, listen, it's not about the natural realm. It's like that story again. Dare I say it, but it's like Fetuk Palace. When you grow up and you're a little boy, you don't laugh. You laugh at Fetuk Palace, but you don't realize why your parents laugh. Never thought you'd hear that in church, did you? This makes a good point. Like, we need to grow up into the spiritual. That's why Colossians 3 says, think about things above, not of things on the earth. So when we think about things above, not on things on the earth, when we read Genesis, that is still applicable. That instruction stands. Think about things in heaven, not on things on the earth. Think about spiritual realities. Don't think about natural realities. When? Well, all the time. So when you open the book of Genesis, it's not just the history creation story. It actually isn't that at all. It is because you're going to lose against the scientists. Okay? And we're not called to win the fight. We're called to bring life. Christianity is not about right and wrong. It's about life and death. And once we, get, once we humble ourselves under that truth, then we realize, well, even if I lose the fight, I can still win the person. Because the word says in Colossians that we have been translated from darkness to light, not from wrong to right. From darkness to light. From the natural man to the spiritual. These are they. You search what? The Scriptures. What are they? Moses and the prophets. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So the question then is, what was Moses' message? What was Moses' message? Other question I asked people this week. I said, what? so Abraham, why, why was Abraham the friend of God? Because he believed. Okay? Abraham was counted righteous. Why? Because he believed. What did he believe? I met up with someone this week as well, and I said, he said, I'm not sure if I'm born again. I was like, if you ask that question, then you're not sure. If you're born again, then you're probably not. I said, so what do you believe? He says, well, I'm a believer, but I go to church. I grew up in church. What do you believe? He says, well, I actually don't know what I believe. If I go through, we're not going to do it now, obviously, for time's sake, but what do you believe? What did, what did Abraham believe? Well, that there's a God, because he spoke to him. He wasn't smoking some opium and ancient... Believing in God doesn't save you. The Word says even the devils believe and, and, and shudder, and they're not going to be with us in eternity. What did Abraham believe? Well, he believed what Moses wrote about, because Moses wrote about what Abraham believed. Okay. Now we, we're just on the runway. Okay, We're on the runway. We haven't taken off yet. Verse 47. What did Moses believe then is the same question, or a, a, another way to ask that question is, who did Moses write about? Because that's what he believed. Genesis to Malachi, Genesis is Moses' epistle. Because he wasn't there with Adam and Eve. He wasn't there in the beginning. He wasn't there when Abraham lived. He came afterwards, but it was revealed to him, and then he wrote the message. John 4, 5, 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. I'm showing you things you've probably never seen in your Bible <laughs> before. I know I haven't seen them for a long time. You study the Scriptures, you hang on to Moses, so he's speaking to the Israelites, because you believe in Moses, but you believe in me, you should believe in me, because he wrote about me. So what did Moses believe in? 
the coming Christ. You might not be there yet. Hang on. Don't walk out yet. For if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So let's chuck away the Old Testament. No, Jesus said, if you don't believe the writings of Moses, how will you believe the words of Christ? Hebrews 11. This is where a lot of this started for me. Hebrews 11.24 By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I mean, that's, that's natural. That's carnal man. That sounds like Moses. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we're speaking about Moses and the writer of Hebrews saying that Moses esteemed not the reproach of Christ, the coming Messiah, one of the translations says, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward, or he looked forward to the true reality. Hebrews 11.27 then says, By faith he forsook Egypt. Now, Hebrews 11 is all about faith. But the end of Hebrews 11 says, They without us did not receive the fullness of the promise. But they believed in the promise. Moses did. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Him, capital H. Speaking about... Christ to come. So Moses writes the book of Genesis, which is the gospel. Because Jesus just said, it's about me. So it's not Peter that's completely off his whacker. Then what happens? They leave Egypt. So they react to the message of Moses, which is about there's a promise. But they think the promise is just Canaan. Where Galatians 3.14 now says the promise to Abraham wasn't Canaan, it was the Holy Spirit living in and through a man. The pouring out. And may I say this, but this morning on the way here I listened to a song about pour out your spirit. And if I had a bag I would have used it. If you didn't get that, that's good. Because if we cry out on God to pour out His Spirit, then we're telling God you've never fulfilled the promise to Abraham. Because in my Bible, in the book of Acts, Acts 2, I believe it is, there is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And He didn't go back. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> he didn't just go back into heaven, oh, no one wants Him, like, and now send another Jesus, or get another cross, or bring another. He was poured out. He was poured out. David stands outside Bethlehem and he can't get into Bethlehem because it's siege. It's like under siege. And he says, oh, I wish I could drink of the sweet waters of some well in Bethlehem. And three of his men or two of his men hear that. And they go for the wish of the king and they go and they break. They put their lives at risk and they break through enemy lines and they go draw from that well, and they have to, obviously now they're behind enemy lines, they come back, they put their life at risk again, and they give that to David. And David is overwhelmed. And David says, I can never drink this. Who of us would, like, just look, 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 thank you, I'm the king. We'll give those two guys a promotion. David says, I can never drink this. And what does he do? He pours it out, and the word says, as a drink offering. Now, once he's poured that out, can you get that back? What does he pour it out? He pours it out on the ground. He pours it out on the earth. He pours it out on the dust. Now we read Moses and the prophets, and we realize it's not about, Mo it's not about David and his nice water bottle. It's actually about Christ. David is personified as Christ. And Christ pours out what is His. There's your water, that which you so dearly long for. And He says, well, this is too much just for me. This is for God. And He pours it out. But He pours it out on dust. He pours it out on me and you.
and he's not going to take it back. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. What is your glossary? What's the definition that comes up when you hear the Holy Spirit was poured out? Well, yeah, tongues of fire. If you think water, it's much, much more accurate to the word. Yes, it looked like tongues of fire in one instance in an eyewitness account in the book of Acts. But if you read the theme throughout Scripture, it is always speaking about the Holy Spirit. So John, somewhere says, John 3 actually, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. And Jesus speaks to Nicodemus and says, you cannot enter into the kingdom unless you are born of spirit and water. How many people have tried to translate and explain that? Is it now the man or is it the breaking of water of the woman or is it this or is it now the spirit man? Or is well, if the Holy Spirit is water and the next verse says that, that he spoke of the Holy Spirit or being born of the Spirit. So if that is the definition, we need to go back one verse. And I'm sorry that I don't have the reference right now. But we need to go back one verse and says the Holy Spirit which is water. Or water, the correct translation would be water, which is the Holy Spirit. Now I have to go there, otherwise I'm confusing everyone. John 3. Um, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I, verily I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again, again, not a good translation, born from above or born from the spirit man would be better. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and even be born? So Nicodemus, Pharisee of Pharisees, teacher of Pharisees, has a what? Carnal understanding. Natural man. Jesus is speaking spiritual realities. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, verse 5, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. Which one is it now? Is it now natural birth and spiritual birth? Or is it the spiritual birth? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So, the good translation there would have been born of the water, which is the spirit. And if you read the context later on, it's just speaking about born of the spirit, born of God. We know we want to be born of God, but God is the spirit. I don't want to go into the definition of a sinner right now, so let's go back. Because the definition of sinner is nothing to do about what you do. Because then that's natural man. Definition of a sinner, now I'm going there, is missing a crucial part. That's the word in uh, the Greek. It means to miss the mark. And what we do with our natural understanding, earthly man, is we think missing the mark is not living as holy as we ought to. It's having that extra drink or having that addiction or like looking around, whatever, you're missing the mark, the mark of holiness. The mark there is not, that's not that. Again, we come in with a natural understanding and try and explain scripture, which is spiritual. Jesus said, my word is spirit and truth. So the word there means to miss a crucial part, to miss the mark. And then Paul writes later and he says, you've been marked, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So stay with me. If you're a sinner and you are missing the mark, you're missing a crucial part, the mark and the crucial part should be the same thing. If you just look at two definitions of the same word. I am missing the crucial part. Okay? Let's park that quickly. Romans 3 says, I think verse 25, that all have come short, all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone. Okay. Okay, this is now, they're missing a part. They're missing what? The glory. They've sinned, so they deserve it, but you were born a sinner, so you didn't deserve it. But you're missing a crucial part. Now link that to John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus says, the thief, which is religion, by the way, it's not speaking about Satan, if you read the context, the thief is works, it is law, it is what I need to do, it's the natural realm, comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to do what? To give or to bring life, zoe, in abundance or and abundance, depending on your translation. So Jesus says, you guys are all missing something, and I came to fill that gap. I came to bring what? Eternal life. Then the word goes on in 1 John, and it says, they who have the, sp uh, the Son have life and they who do not have the son do not have life 
Now, that life refers back to John 10, which is what life? Zoe life. The life that lasts forever. So what is your definition of eternal life? Does it have anything to do with what you do right or wrong? When I said earlier that Christianity is not about right or wrong, it's about life and death, you all agreed. Now I tell you that you are free and sin is not something you do or don't do. Sin is about having Christ or not having Him. Now you're a bit awkward. Which is fine because we've been indoctrinated that we have a right list and a wrong list. And we've got staticies on this side and we've got frowny faces on this side. And then depending on how many frowny faces and staticies you have, you either get the chocolate at the end of the week or you don't. Natural man. Spirit man is, I miss a crucial part. All have fallen short in, of the glory of God. All are sinners. All are missing a crucial part and all come short of the glory of God. Colossians 1.27 says what? Christ in us. The what? The hope. Passion says the expectation of glory. Romans 3.25 said you miss something. What do you miss? The glory of God. Receive Christ. Now you don't miss a crucial part, so you're no longer a sinner. You're now one with Him. You're born from above. You're born from the Spirit, and you're going to live forever. Can you lose that? And if you sin, if you murder, if you're adulterous, if you rape, you cannot, you're not missing anything anymore. What you're missing is a realization, a revelation, a renewal of the mind to start to live according to the spirit man, not the flesh man. But your spirit man is going to live forever. Why? Because Christ is not going to die. And you can't lose him. Because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been marked. It's not a target. It's a stamp of approval. That's amazing. And that's the gospel. They wanted to know how to share the gospel. That's the gospel. You don't believe me? Go listen to the School of the Believer yesterday. That's basically what Shane shared. If you don't believe me, go to Complete. I think it's season, um, I want to say season five. Part five of my Complete series that's outside. Feels like seasons upon seasons. I actually shared exactly this in there. And I have the nice Greek word, which I can't remember right now. The law of Moses was never about the right, what you do. The writings of Moses, let's say that. Because Jesus said, he didn't write about what you do. That's what you read. That's what the toddler sees. That's what the natural man sees. But he actually wrote about Christ. What does Jesus do? He comes on the scene and the Pharisees think they are so holy. And he says, well, if you even look at a lady, you've committed adultery. What he's, what he's doing is he's challenging them that this is not about natural realm. This is not about performance. This is not about actions. This is about more. He only takes them to the soulish. So in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1 or 3, 23, whatever, it says, Paul prays that our whole, our whole being be made perfect, which is our spirit, our soul, and our body. Jesus comes onto the scene, everyone is just working in the body. The most holy ones are just in the body, flesh. Now he says, it's even what you think, soul. But those that worship the Father, according to Jesus and the lady at the well, says what? Must worship Him in spirit and truth. And then we default to actions. I'm not saying you, I'm like everyone who didn't come. Okay. <laughs> everyone who's in other churches this morning. This should be liberating to you, by the way. I, I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I, need, I read a new Bible. Because I go to the Scriptures now, the Old Testament, with this understanding, looking for Jesus. And I think, Jerusha, you said it weeks ago, or months ago, like when we go to the Old, go play hide-and-seek with Jesus. Just go play seek. Like, just go find Jesus in there. Now, I showed you from Hebrews 11 that Moses spoke about Jesus. He believed in Christ. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he saw him who was to come. Who is him that was to come? Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The image there is that, that's that image of one who is to come, seeing the unseen, the firstborn over all creation. So was Jesus then in Genesis? Of course he was, because he's the firstborn of all creation. How do I know that? Genesis 1 and verse 3, I think, says, And he said, Let there be light. Okay. 
Peter, now you're stretching it. Okay, let's go to John 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1 verse 3. John 1 verse 4 says, and in him was life, speaking about Jesus, and the life was what? The light of men. Okay, Jesus is the light, the way, the truth, and the life, but he's the light. Now look at how awesome this gets. Psalm 119 verse 105. So Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, all about the Word of God. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So what we do, carnal man, carnal thinking, is we take the Bible and we say, let this be the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. And we're going to make decisions with the Word of God. Amen. And all those decisions are probably going to be 90% carnal. Let's be honest this morning. If Jesus is the light... Who's lighting your way? He is a light. John 1 verse 4 says, He is the light of men. Speaking about Jesus. He is the light to my path. So I go where He wants to go. Because where I go, He goes. Because He's in me. Now what we did is we wear these bangles and then say, What would Jesus do? And it's all natural men. Thinking. Don't sin. I sinned more wearing those bangles than not wearing them. What would Jesus do? What, where, where does the spirit man want to go today? Who does the spirit man want to love? Who does the spirit man in me want to give a word? Who does the spirit man in me want to see healed? Who does the spirit man in me want to see set free? Who does the spirit man in me want to reveal Christ in the scriptures? What would Jesus do? Luke 24 is our answer. What would Jesus do? He would show himself in Moses and the prophets. That's what he would do if he ever wanted to know. How do I know that? That's what he did. <laughs> Luke 24. He only has 40 days. While he goes to Peter and he restores Peter, that's what he would do. He's in restoration. He goes to Emmaus and he shows them Christ in the Scriptures. He warned them in John 5 that he's going to do it. In John 16 he says, you don't know what you're talking about, but I can't tell you yet. And then he goes on in Luke 24 and he, go, he, he does it. So where is our ministry? It isn't doing what Christ did. It isn't showing Him in the Scriptures. What is the message of the Bible then? What is the message? Not a message in the Bible. What is the message of the Bible? Well, the Bible is Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. It is the eyewitness accounts of the Life, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the flesh. It is the book of Acts, which is the birth of the church. And Luke says in Luke 1 that this is an eyewitness account. This is not doctrine. This is journalistic. This is what people saw. And then he says in uh, Acts 1, he says, Oh dear Theopolis, basically, I'm writing volume 2 of Luke 1. So Acts would have been better termed Luke 2. Or 1, one Luke and, and, and 2 Luke. Well, that sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> And then we have what? The epistles, which is now the explanation of what Christ did, of the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Moses and the, and the prophets. And that includes revelation. Don't treat that different, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So 2 Timothy 2.15 says, rightly divide the word of truth. And I believe that is more accurate than just splitting the old and the new. Because the word divide there is with a scalpel. It is a fine, direct, straight line. It is, it is it's feinwerk. It's not just cut it and chop it and put a white page in the middle. What is the message of the Bible? Who did Moses write about? Jesus said, he wrote about me. Who did Matthew write about? Who did Mark write about? Luke and John. Peter and James. Who did Paul write about? What is the message of the Bible? It's Jesus, the risen Christ. Colossians 1.28 from the Passion says, Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and passion in ministry 
to labor with a tireless intensity with His power flowing through me to present to every believer the what? Revelation of being what? His perfect man, the perfect one. Where? In Christ Jesus. What is our message? Come to Christ and be perfect. Spiritually, you are. Not come to Christ and now you're going to start and be perfect. And you're probably not going to get there. And if you get there, you die. I used to believe that. You only go to heaven when you're ready for it. Natural man can never get ready for a spiritual reality. You need to be, have born in you the spirit man so that you can live heaven right now. Because otherwise Ephesians 2 verse 6 says we are seated in Christ and heavenly. It doesn't make sense because where is that? Is it another planet? Is it another galaxy? Is it another Milky Way? Is it like what is it? No, it's just another reality. It's the spirit man. What is this awakening of hearts that Paul writes about? Let's end with this. Back to Luke 24, verse 32. So the Emmaus guys, they, they go to Emmaus and they don't stay there very long because they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the way and while he did what? Opened the Scriptures. Awakened hearts, burning hearts, life that is changed, hearts that want to now do something. How do we get that? How do we turn people on to God? Or on for God? It's a good question. I mean, that's ministry. It is when we show them Christ. And one of the ways, one of the best ways we can do it is in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament. Because these guys just saw the resurrected Christ in person. No? In the breaking of bread, He was revealed to them and in an instant He was taken away. But that's not what they're going to tell their grandchildren. Because they say, did not our hearts burn within us when He showed Himself to us where? Across the table? No, in the Scriptures. Did not our hearts burn within us? The highlight of their day was the journey with Jesus. Which says, yeah, of course, no, when He showed Himself to them in the Old Testament. What did that do? Remember they say, Jesus, you can't go further, it's late. We have to come, come stay with us. So they're ending off their day. They're afraid, they're scared, it's, it's dangerous to travel at night. Still is, but it was. <laughs> but now they, stay, they have this moment and Jesus is gone and He says, Did not our hearts burn within us? And verse 33 says, So they left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem to tell all the disciples. Seven miles they traveled, took them the whole day. At once, in the night, they say, hey, we've got a message. We're going to explain the scriptures. Let's go tell the disciples. Let's minister. They've forgotten about fear. They've forgotten about how far it is. The fact that they're tired. The fact that it's late. The fact that they're already home. They get on the bus. No, there's no bus. They get on their two feet, which tired from walking seven miles. And they rush back to Jerusalem. And that's why Colossians 1 says, I minister with a tireless intensity. Why? Because my heart has been awakened. My heart is burning. There's a fire within me, which is what? Christ Jesus. It is no longer about natural thinking. It's no longer about do's and don'ts. It is about finding the spirit man. The one who was to come is no longer to come. He came and he did not just come but he completed and he didn't just come and do little things he fulfilled and now i live in him perfect and he has sent us out to share that message and i tell you oh, i want to be a witness for christ and i need to tell people that sin isn't so good and that they're going to be in hell and i want to give them fire insurance that is not a good message that's not a good pitch that's not even your product you have the risen Christ in you. You have the one who was to come, who did come, who was completed. Perfect. Colossians 2 says He is complete. He is the name above every name. And then we say, oh, cancer, please go. Headache, please go. Flu, please go. COVID, please go. No, that's not what it's talking about because that's natural thinking again. He is the name above every name of God. He is the all-encompassing one. And guess what? He now lives in and through the 
believer. I need Jehovah Jireh. I need provision. You got him. That's the name of God. I need shalom. I need peace. Oh Lord, this is such a bad day. You've got him. You have the one who is above every name of God. But what about all the definitions of shalom? Take it. Prosperity, peace. Prosperity just isn't money. That's dust man thinking. That's natural man thinking. Go read Hebrews 11. The world was not worthy. They lived in caves and wore skins because the world was not worth them. But even they did not receive the fullness without us. And what is the fullness of the promise? It is the fulfillment thereof, which is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus didn't just come to deal with your sin. Jesus came so that the Holy Spirit can be poured out and now live in each and every one of His children, His believers. Those who are of faith, not those who are trying and confessing and standing in faith. Because you are no longer missing a crucial part. What a message. Go out into all the world and tell them what you're looking for is something that you're missing. Your alcohol is not going to fix it, buddy. Your addiction is not going to fix it, buddy. Your hard work is not going to fix it, buddy. Money is not going to fix it. Money is not going to fill that void. Because the book of Ecclesiastes says that eternity is in the hearts of men. And do you know what they're missing? They are knowing that they will not be living forever. And they don't want to know that. No one wants to know that. So now you drink. Because when you drink, you numb that thought. Or now you work. Because when you work, you don't think about those things. And I'm not saying it's bad to work. Go listen to my business leaders. It's all very good to work. It's a great vehicle to go and share spiritual truths. Because there's a lot of people in the workplace who's never going to come to church. And Jesus didn't say, world, come to church. He said, world, church, go to world. Go you into all the world. Business is your vehicle. To what? To deliver eternal life, which is Christ, which is the Spirit of God. And once you have it, you have it in sealed form. And nothing can take that from you. But Peter, I still sin and I still drink and I still look around. It's just a renewal of the mind. Wake up to the spiritual truth, which is Christ now lives in you. And guess what? It's going to be like that. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Because He came to give what? His life. The God kind of life. The Zoe life. Is God's life going to end? No, He's the eternal one. So His life is now in you. Isn't that a message that the world might just say yes to? Oh, boring Christians. You again. Tell me what I do wrong. Buddy, let me tell you. It's never been about that. It's all about what He did right so that you and I can actually live forever. Again, we have eternal life. We have that mindset. We speak about it. But does your glossary say the life of Christ living in me forever? The part that I was missing is now fulfilled. Are you born again? You know if you're still missing that part or if that part has been fulfilled. You know if you're just living dust man, natural man living, or if you've now been awakened into the spiritual. And I'm not saying you have a perfect life, neither do I. Because this flesh man, this dust man still has a lot of things that we need to work through. But it becomes sort of irrelevant because we now have Christ in us, and He is the hope, the expectation of glory. All have fallen short of the glory of God, but those who've received Christ no longer. Let's stand together as we close this. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that what was written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms was the things concerning You. And Father, as we embark on this journey, thank You that You're going to help us, Holy Spirit, because that's Your work, to reveal the Scriptures, to show us Christ in the Word, not just in the New but in every single part of it. 
Thank you that you are for us and that you've ever and forever will be. Thank you that your word says that you're wanting everyone to come to salvation and a full knowledge of the truth. What is God's will for your life is that you receive that everlasting life part. He made the trees in the Garden of Eden. He put two trees there that I've mentioned, and the one was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, natural man. He put another tree there, the tree of life. Funny that the, the devil didn't go for that. But he went for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to bring us down to a natural performance, right and wrong state. If they were to eat of the tree of life and actually live forever, that is salvation. The book of Revelation says the tree of life is now in heaven. It's a spiritual tree. And we eat the fruit thereof. And if you have, then you live forever. And if you haven't, today is your day. Today is your day to find what you've been looking for. And you can just say, yes, Lord, I believe. I don't just believe that there is a God. I believe that His Son came down and that God lived in Him in the spirit form. That He died, but that He rose again. That He's resurrected. And I now make Jesus Lord of my life. I make Him King of my life. I give Him access. I give Him reign. I receive that missing part. I want to live forever in the spirit for all eternity. That's how easy it is. It's impossible. <laughs> For the natural man. So when we go into ruse and don'ts and religious, re, religiosity, we're just playing too small. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Not just in Peter, not just in someone with the Bible, someone in ministry school. Christ in every believer, those who are of faith. And Father, we preach to awaken hearts and make every man, every son, every daughter come to a full knowledge of the truth, the real reality. And we don't do it by ourselves. We've got your word and we've got the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. God is a spirit and He's your Father. Meaning if you're made in His image, if you're born according to Him, if you're born from above, you're born from the Spirit, you are also a spirit man. Live that. More and more, let's live according to the Spirit. And let's see that urgency rise up. That passion to share this life-giving part, this eternal life with everyone we come into contact with. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.